My favourite elements of ministry, uh, LCPC, is when I get to lead what's called a marriage preparation course. A marriage preparation course. I'm sure you know the idea. When I get to uh, meet with a newly engaged couple and we get to talk about marriage in advance of their wedding day. I love that. I love it. And the reason that I like that so much is I think the whole course is kind of valuable. Because you know what it's like? A couple get engaged, and what do they think? They think, yeah, everyone else's marriages have got problems and issues, but we're different. (laughs) You know, everyone else might struggle in their marriages and so forth, but we love each other so much. That it's all going to be plain sailing. It's going to be easy for us. And in the marriage preparation course, I get the opportunity to come alongside and maybe kind of temper that a little bit. Hopefully not entirely put them off marriage. Hopefully not that. But at least give people realistic expectations about what they can expect to happen. Realistic expectations about marriage. Now, realistic expectations are also important in the Christian walk. When you say, like, if we think just because our God is sovereign, that he rules, if we think just because of that, that the Christian life is going to be just easy, it's going to be a breeze, then we are in for a nasty shock. And I think, I think it's that. I think it is Jesus giving his disciples realistic expectations that we've got before us in this chapter this morning. Realistic expectations. But before we, before we examine that, I think we've got to have the situation in Mark chapter 13 really clear in our minds. So, what's happening at this point in God's words? Well, if uh, there was a, a Guinness world record for the most theological teaching in one day, then Jesus has just smashed that world record, hasn't he? Because he's just finished the longest spell of instruction ever, hasn't he? In chapter 11 and chapter 12, this huge long day of teaching. But you can see now, can't you, that it's it's finished. And do you see what happens here? Like he finishes, and on the way out of the temple... One of his disciples stops him and wants to draw Jesus' attention to the architecture of the place. You see, he wants to sort of point Jesus to the sort of magnificence of the temple grounds. Now, I think we've got to cut the disciple a little bit of slack. Because truth be told, he's not wrong. Like this was a Herod's temple. And this was a sort of vast opulent network of buildings. It was, oh, it was amazing. Like even, despite the fact that it was still under construction at that point there, still just an amazing thing to behold, especially if you think about it from a Galilean fisherman's point of view. I mean, this was epic, right? This was incredible. But no matter how incredible the temple was, It's nothing in comparison with what Jesus says at that point. So would you look at it with me? Look at verse 2. What does Jesus do? Man, Jesus predicts the temple's destruction. Doesn't he? Like he says to the disciple, you think this is amazing? 
too? You think this is good? Let me tell you, one day, very, very soon, all of this is going to come crashing down. Like all of it, you're impressed by these stones and stuff. All of this is coming down soon. And friends, you can see that that there begins to kind of play on the disciples' minds. The temple's destruction. Because what happens next? They all leave the temple and they travel up the Mount of Olives. And then they sit down and now they're looking down on the temple courts. And what do the disciples do? They begin to press Jesus. They begin to badger Jesus. They want more information. And I'm asking you, do you see why? Why are they so curious? Because in the disciples' minds, the destruction of the temple was one of the most important events in all of history. Now get this right. It was an event that they associated with the end of time itself. So do you see what they're thinking? They're thinking, what? The temple's about to be destroyed. Does that mean the end is coming soon? They're getting excited and they want to know more. Now, let me say this. I've been a minister here for, I don't know, what is it? I lose track, but five years or something like that. So it's not all that long a time, but I was doing the maths earlier on. That means that I have preached about uh, 500 sermons. 500 different texts of scripture uh, in that time. I can honestly say to you that what we're looking at this morning is the most difficult portion of scripture that I've covered in the time here. Now I wonder you see why it's difficult. It's because in how Jesus responds to these excited disciples, it's not entirely clear what he's talking about. Maybe you got that from the reading. Like some of the commentators, in fact, you know, most of the commentators, I think, they say that what Jesus is talking about in that section there is only AD 70. You know, when the Roman ruler, a guy called Titus, he comes and destroys the temple. Okay? This commentators think Jesus is only talking about that and that he's not talking about the end times at all. So you've got a lot of commentators saying that. You've got other commentators, you know what they say? They say he's only talking about the end times. That he's not talking about the temple destruction in AD 70 at all. And so this week I have aged about 40 years that I've been pulling my hair out all week trying to work out which is it? Is it? Is it the AD 70 the temple destruction? Is it the coming of the end of the... Which is it? So, which is it? I think honestly, friends, what Jesus is speaking about here Is both. You see? That yeah, he is speaking about the impending destruction of the temple in AD 7. He is. But do you see what he's doing? He is using that event almost as a sign or a symbol of the last days before he returns. You following me? It's almost like when he speaks to the disciples in the mind of all this, he's looking through that yet imminent destruction of the temple. He's looking through it, but he's looking to the end of time. I wonder if you see what that means. It means if there's an eschatological element to this, it means it's relevant for you. Do you see, if he's talking about the last days, what's that? That's an era in which you and I live. That era between Christ's incarnation and his coming again. You see? So this isn't a message just for the 12 disciples. Who's it for? It's for you. 
It's for me, it's for every one of us in this room just now. Now friends, because we, because of the nature of chapter 13, because we've had to have this sort of extended introduction into this new chapter, I don't intend to try and cover a lot of this chapter this morning, okay? Instead, what I want us to do is just to think about what Jesus says at the start here about the nature, or let's call it the characteristics of the last day. So we'll think about the characteristics of the last day and then we'll think about maybe a few points of application later on. So what are the characteristics of the last day? What is it, friend, that you should expect to see as a Christian in the time between today and the coming of Christ? What's going to happen in the world? What are you going to see? What am I going to see happen before Christ soon returns to this earth? Well, there's a few things that Jesus tells us about here. The first is that in the last age, there are going to be pretenders. Do this with me. Have a look at verse 6. Would you? Have a look at verse 6. So I think we've, we've got the situation right. The disciples, they're asking Jesus about signs of the end of the age. What does Jesus say in verse 6? He says, look at that. Many will come in my name saying, what do they say? They say, I am he. Do you see where I'm getting pretenders from? But do you also see what Jesus is doing? If you've been here for the sermon series. What did he do in the previous chapter? He warned about people who are falsely teaching about the Messiah. Didn't he? Now what is he doing? Now he's warning about people who actually pretend to be. Messiah, see the message that in this time before Christ returns, there's going to be people, they're going to come, and who are they going to pretend to be? They're going to pretend to be the Christ himself. Now, I wonder if you do this with me. You think or notice one crucial element of that. Notice that in these last days, these imposters that we're dealing with, they are going to be commonplace Because did you notice what Jesus said? What exactly did he say in verse 6? He said, many are going to come in my name. Like many are going to come and say that I am he. And I'm asking you, isn't that the message you've got in verse 22? Just look a little bit further on. We'll come back to it next week. But look at verse 22. Again, again, he's speaking about an abundance of false Christs. False Messiah who's going to appear. And then, think about Ijidai. I'm not saying that Ijidai is a false Christ. But Ijidai came up earlier on. And what did he read? He read 2 Timothy chapter 3. What was Paul's message there? Paul said, there's going to be an abundance of these people. Paul, 2 Timothy says, a multiplicity of people coming. And they're going to oppose the gospel. They're going to lead lots and lots of people astray. Do you see? There's, there's loads of pretenders in the last days. And then let me ask you this. What is the really, really disturbing, uncomfortable truth that scripture tells us every single time it mentions these pretenders? What does scripture say? It is heartbreaking because scripture says that these men will be successful every time. Isn't that a heartbreaking thought? And it might seem crazy to us as a group of God's people today, but the message is 
obvious that in the last days, lots of men will appear, but they will gather large, large followings. That multitudes of people will be deceived, taken away from Christ by people pretending to be false messiahs, pretending to be the Messiah of God. So we see pretenders. That's the first thing that we see. The second thing that we learn here is that in the last days, there will also be problems. So there's pretenders, but there will also be problems. So I'll tell you what, look with me in verse 8 and you'll see what I mean. Verse 8, I'll give you a moment. So we see in verse 8 that in advance of Christ's return, we are promised conflict problems. Do you see that? So he says kingdoms fighting against kingdoms. And then in the same verse, we're also, I wonder if you'd allow this, if I call it this, we're also promised natural problems as well. Do you see that? There's earthquakes, famines, and the like. So I'm sure you see what it is that we're being told. That in the time before Christ returned, there is going to be disharmony on the earth. Isn't that the promise that God is making to us there? That it's going to be a time of hostility increasing hostility, hostility between nations and hostility in nature. Just as we did a moment ago, let's think about one aspect of that. Because you know what it's like. Let's say we are on holiday somewhere. Let's say we're on holiday elsewhere in England. And it gets to Sunday morning. So despite the fact that we're on holiday, we're still going to go to church. And so we get up, we don't, well, there's a church down the road from us where we're on holiday. We don't know much about it, but we're going to check it out. So we go in, into church and, uh-oh, we find priest. Immediately, it's a bit of a far out church. And it's a bit out there, you know, it's a bit high. And a guy gets up to, to preach. And what is the topic of his sermon today? Oh no, he gets up to preach and his topic is, the end is nigh. Okay, so he's heard of a, a guy who's died in Israel. He's heard of ISIS advancing. And he gets up and he says, the world is about to end. You know, we've got a few weeks to live. You know, there's so much hostility in the world. The, the end is coming soon. You get the idea? Well, look what Jesus says at the end of verse 7. He says that when we as the people of God see hostility, it is not the end. So he, he talks about these increasing hostilities in, in, in between nations and in nature. And did you notice what he calls it? He just says, that's not the end. That is just the beginning. He says it's the beginning of birth pains. So you see the message for, for you and for me. We're definitely not spending our time in mindless speculation when we see these sorts of conflict. Because do you know what you can be absolutely guaranteed about if you see increasing hostilities? That's not the end. There is much, much, much more still to come. You understand? So we see pretenders. We see problems. Here we go though. In the last days, there will also be persecution. Now we're often told, friends, aren't we, that in a time of ISIS or a time of shock, that people's first reaction a lot of the time, is just to freeze. And we saw that, didn't we? Or we read about it in these horrible terrorist attacks in Paris. 
Do you remember those? We've, we've all followed those. Do you remember what happened? These poor people in a nightclub, uh, they would hear the gunfire. And what did a lot of people do? They just froze. Because they, they didn't know how to respond. They were in shock. It was a crisis. They just, just froze. Now, I think, honestly, that that seems to be what's happening to the church in the United Kingdom in the present day. Like we are being turned against, we're being attacked, if you like, by society. And we are so shocked by what's happening in the United Kingdom today that collectively, what are Christians doing? What's the church doing in the UK? Collectively, we just seem, we don't know what to do, so we just, we freeze. We don't know how to respond. And I think in a lot of ways that is inexcusable. Isn't it? Because even if you have a cursory glance at scripture, what do you see? We should be prepared. We should actually be expecting this sort of level of opposition against the Christian church, shouldn't we? And isn't it that what that Jesus underlines for you in Mark chapter 13? Because you think about what's going on here. Jesus, here in his word, speaking to us about this present age. And what's the main thing he talks about? What's he say? He says, there will be persecution for the church. And isn't what God says to you about the extent of this persecution, isn't it quite stark? Did you notice it in verse 9? He says, we are going to be persecuted by religious figures. Do you see that? Like people who we think are on the same side as us persecuting us, opposing us, fighting in the in the synagogue. And then to see it in verse 10, who else? We see there's opposition by the state. We've got kings and governors opposing the people of God. Then you've got verse 12. Verse 12 is hard. We are opposed also by our families, like brothers turning against brothers. Isn't that crap? In fact, doesn't what Jesus say in verse 13 kind of sum up the whole thing? What should you expect? As a Christian today, what does he promise you? In his name, you're going to be hated. You're going to be hated by whom? What does he say? You're going to be hated by all. Now, I don't, like, I, I need to ask you, when I say that to you, how do you respond? Like God is, God is saying here that the Christian church is going to be persecuted by everyone, hated by all. Are you upset by this? Are you fearful for the future of Christianity in this country? I'm saying to you, you need, you need not be. Because do you see what Jesus does in this chapter? He does not just promise you opposition. He promises you that when opposition comes, God will draw near to his people. Isn't that epic? He promises here that God is going to draw near to his persecuted people and actually act on their behalf. And isn't that a message that the Christians of Britain need to hear today? Isn't that what we need to keep in view? Like the world's turning against the society. We can still be bold. Like we can still be courageous even in this sort of society. Why? Because God promises here that when we're confronted, if there's problems... The Holy Spirit himself is going to give you and he's going to give me the words that we need at that precise moment. You see it? 
And then the last of these characteristics is this. Did we get them? Wonder. Did we? You see that I, yeah, I swallowed the alphabet with this, didn't I? There's pretenders. There's problems. There are persecution. The last one, before the return of Jesus Christ, there will be proclamation. There will be proclamation. Do you know the name Abraham Kuyper? Some of you definitely know Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper was a, a former prime minister of the Netherlands, but he was also a very famous theologian. And Abraham Kuyper wrote about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he said in his writings, he said that in the time before Jesus returns, this earth is going to get both better and it's going to get worse. Then the time before Christ returns, the world is going to get better and it's going to get worse. And we're scratching our heads and maybe it sounds a little bit cryptic. But isn't it that idea that we've got in Mark 13? The world's going to get better and the world's going to get worse. Because you're with me when I say to you that everything that Jesus has said up to now is, is dark. Isn't it? Like persecution and opponents and opposition. Like this heavy... Like that's doom and gloom and then all of a sudden there's this beautiful real light and it's so beautiful I want you to see it. Look at verse 10. Look at it. In amongst all of this darkness, Jesus says that before he returns, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all of the nations. Do you see it? This good news that we've got is going to spread before Christ returns. It's going to spread to every tribe and every people group under the sun. Now, you've got to be careful because Jesus doesn't promise that everyone is going to believe this gospel. But still, isn't it magnificent? Isn't it? Isn't it? There's such hope in this. This message we've got, salvation through faith by grace alone in Christ alone. It's going out. It's going to cover the whole earth. Everyone under the sun here is. Every people group. That God is not just going to defend you and me. He is going to advance his gospel and do so across the whole entire globe. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, there's pretenders and there's problems and there's persecution. There is going to be the proclamation of truth until Christ returns. You see, the characteristics of the last days. I hope that you see what it is that Jesus Christ our Lord is doing in this section of Scripture. He's spoken about the destruction of the temple. And because of that, the disciples are really excited. Party time. Temple's about to be destroyed. The end is coming. We're going to get whisked up to glory. And what does Jesus do? What's the sermon called? He gives them realistic expectations. He says it's not happening now. And in this present age... You've got to be prepared for the fact it's going to be really tough for the church. It's going to be difficult for you, the people of God. Realistic expectations. And so what I want to do as we close is just to mention in a word 
the application that your God gives you for your life in this portion of Scripture. We've seen the characteristics of the last age. What about the challenge of the last days? Because it is one thing for you and I to know that things are going to be difficult, isn't it? One thing for us to know there's going to be persecution and we're going to face trouble. It's another thing altogether to know, well, what does God want from us? Like, how do we respond (laughs) to these dark times? And I, I honestly am closing with this, but I just want to say three things, just bullet points about what Christ tells us about what he wants from the church. First is this from you. Jesus wants us to be paying attention. He wants you and me to pay attention. Can I, can I show you the very first thing that Jesus says here? If you look at verse five, have a look at verse five. Now, Consider he is about to embark on this magnificent chapter. And he's about to talk about all the ends of the age. Now, what's the first thing he says, though? Like the, th- the number one thing that Jesus has to get off his chest when he's talking about the end of the age. What is it? Because what's the most important thing he wants to say to you and to me? He says, verse 5, Light at the end of the age, see that no one leads you astray. Like that's the first thing, the matter of first importance to Jesus to say to you. Then look at verse 9. Do you notice he adds to it? How does verse 9 begin? Isn't it very similar? He says, and make sure, like, look, please be on your guard. Now I'm asking you as a congregation, friends, LCPC, like do you see what it is that Jesus is wanting from you and from me? In light of his return, before he comes, what does he want you to be? He wants you to be vigilant. And I have to ask you, are we being vigilant? Because if Jesus was here speaking to us, how would he describe your private devotion and your walk with him? Would he say that you are being spiritually sloppy? If you're kind of taking your foot off the gas... When it comes to even the disciplines of a Christian. Is that how you are? Well, do you see what he wants? He wants us through prayerfulness, through studying the scriptures, through involvement and service of a church. He wants you to be watchful. He wants you to be on it spiritually. To be looking out for this hostility, this persecution that he promises is coming your way. We've got to be paying attention. I said three things. The second one. We've also, friends, we've got to be at peace. At peace. Now, I said a moment ago that the church in the United Kingdom today is guilty of freezing when faced with opposition. I think you know as well as I do that there's another reaction that we can have. Because we can see the erosion of the family in the United Kingdom. And we can see all this chat about gender taking place in our society. And how is it that Christians can respond to that? Isn't it true that we sometimes can panic a little bit? Like we see how unwelcome biblical Christianity is in Britain in the 21st century. And you're not going to tell me that we worry about that? You're not going to tell me that we, we, we panic, we begin to freak out a little bit about that? We do, don't we? Well, Jesus here, he repeats a phrase for you. He does so to drum it in. Again, look with me to verse 7. Listen to what he says to you in light of that. He says, and do not be... Do you, do you notice the word? Do not be 
uttered. Then verse 11, even more explicit, right in the midst of the stuff about opposition, what does he say? Oh, friend, do not, as a Christian in the last days, do not be anxious. Isn't that marvelous? You see what he's saying? He says, yeah, you bet your life in it. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be changes. And there's going to be conflicts. But what what mustn't we do? We mustn't panic. That is not the job of a Christian. What are we to do? We are to trust in our sovereign, eternal God. Isn't that what he wants? He wants you. Even in the problems of sight, you rest in Jesus. You rely on your Savior. And then the very last thing this morning so we're to be paying attention we're to be at peace but you and I as Christians we are to be persevering and we're going to return next week to the end times God willing Jesus has a lot more to say But despite the fact that he is going to go on from here and he's going to dig deeper into the end times, here in this initial section, I think he gives you a summary of what it is that he wants and expects from his church before he returns. I wonder if you see it. It's just in the last line there. What is the word he uses? He speaks of his church enduring. (laughs) Enduring. Do you see it? In light of the challenges and the problems and the persecution, he doesn't want us to give up. I wonder if you're in that situation this morning. Has it been really tough following Jesus? Are you thinking, I'm going to give up on this? Throw your hands up in despair. Jesus said, don't do that. He wants faithful peace. How would Bob Dylan put it? He wants us to keep on keeping on. But he does sincerely. He wants us to keep on keeping on in the Christian faith. And do you see what what he does to encourage us to persevere? Do you see what he does? He reminds you of what is that's ahead of us. Because how does that statement go in verse 13? He says, the one who endures to the end, what happens to that person? They will be saved. Do you see what he's doing? He's reminding you there that all of this, this darkness, the night of persecution in the last days, one day goes... One day the morning breaks. One day spiritually the sun rises. What happens for all those who have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins? What happens? Our Savior returns. He picks us up. He scoops us up and He takes us home. So yes, friends, we need realistic expectations. It is tough following Jesus in Britain today. It is, isn't it? It's no cakewalk. It's no bed of roses. But what do we have to keep in view? The fact that on the day of Christ Jesus, we will see that it has all been worth it in the end. Because who will we see? What did Manuel Franco remind us last Sunday night? On that day, we will see Jesus, we will see our Lord, our Savior, and our King. What a promise. The one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Let's pray.